Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning. I'm so glad that you are joining us. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at Inspire. And man, I love our online community. I miss you guys. Um, I love it when we see the comments come in and all of the participation. Um, but boy, do I miss you. And uh, I'm just so excited to be able to bring uh, this next segment of our Roman series today. Um, and uh, along with everything that's going on uh, in society, we are still uh, kind of in this COVID season. Um, and you guys are just coming strong and uh Boy, I wish I could be there to hug you, high fives all around. Uh, But until then, just know that I'm thinking about you. I love you. As more information is coming out uh, about COVID and and about these next phases that are happening, um, I'm reading a bunch of stuff. And the other day I read where it said that uh, more than likely they're not going to have buffets any longer. And man, let me tell you something. When I read that, I was like, no, no buffets. I'm like, this is the end times for sure. That right there to me was just a call to apocalypse, right? That was that let me know Jesus is coming soon. I don't know if I could do without buffets. I love buffets. And I think, you know, buffets, potlucks, all of that are amazing. Church potlucks, though, are awesome. I don't know about you, but if we were, if everybody was here uh, in this building with me, I'd probably say, shout out your favorite potluck dish. And some of y'all might be saying like potato salad or macaroni and cheese. Maybe some of y'all be saying pecan pie, pot roast. I don't know, whatever, whatever your potluck dish is. Uh, I love love potlucks, buffets, and and I think it's just because of the community that uh, we feel in those moments. They're just amazing. Um, And really, that's at the heart of the message today, um, this whole message of community. Um, Man, when you talk about church potlucks, um, I remember when being a kid and I would watch um, the different types of people that would be at potlucks. In fact, there's really only two kinds of people at potlucks, okay? Two kinds. Here they are. The first kind is the person that when they put the food on the plate, they kind of divide it into sections. They make sure that like the mashed potatoes are not touching the ham. You know what I'm talking about? Like they have to make sure none of the food is touching each other. And, and then there's the second person, which is like me, and we're the stackers. We're all the stackers out there say, amen, we're the stackers. And so we like to put like the the turkey on top of the sweet potatoes, on top of the green beans, on top of the bread with gravy all over. We stack it all. We pile our plate. You know what I mean? And it's just crazy to just see different people coming together with different ways of doing stuff and still having this sense of unity and community. And as I was studying what Paul is saying here, these were the images that were sort of flooding through my head. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, And today, I think that um, God is challenging us on how we view community with one another. In fact, if I were to tell you this, watch this. If I were to say, you can't fully know Jesus Christ without blank. You can't fully know Jesus Christ without 
blank. I, I wonder what you'd put in that blank. Maybe you'd say uh, something like, um, you can't fully know Jesus Christ without the Bible, or you can't fully know Jesus Christ without prayer. And those are all great answers. Uh, but actually, Jesus says there's something else there. What Jesus says is this, is that you can't fully know Christ without, y'all ready? The church. That's right. Without the church. You say, the church? Really? You mean the place where people come together and, and, and people are, are crazy and, and, and they say one thing and they do another thing? That, that kind of church? You're talking about the place there where Sister Waterman will show up and she'll be crying until her mascara is staining the pew and then she'll cuss you out in the parking lot? The church? Really, Pastor Roger? You, you, mean, you mean that place where Brother Cantaloupe will go and he'll shake your hand and say, God bless you, but then when we go eat at the Red Lobster and he doesn't think anyone's looking, he's still in those cheddar biscuits. You know who I'm talking to, cheddar biscuit stealer. Repent and believe the gospel, brother. I'm just kidding. Listen, check it out. I am talking about, yes, the church, the church, the broken, the imperfect church. And in fact, theologian J.A. Packer says this. He says, if you are not able to understand what the church has been and what the church can be, and what God calls the church to be, then you're going to have trouble coming to grips with the truths of Christ and Christianity. You'll always be in doubt. Wow. And that's because if you want to intellectually commit to Christ, you have to realize uh, not just that he's calling you out of something, uh, that Christianity, that, that when God calls you, he's not just calling you out of something, but he's calling you into something, right? And, and what he's calling you into is so unique and so special, and it's not a private individual relationship, but rather it's identification with a whole new type of humanity, a new type of society, a, a, a new community that is centered on the gospel. And this new gospel-centered community that God calls us into to, to be together, to grow together, is vital to understanding and knowing Jesus Christ. And so with that, what I want us to do is I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And we're going to, we're going to read this together. And it reads like this. It's, uh, Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Uh-oh. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with other people of low position. Do not be conceited. Mm -hmm. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right 
uh, in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, and here he goes, and he goes into this quote, he says, it is mine to avenge and, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and then he goes and he quotes Proverbs, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Finally, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, because you are in control of all things. I thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are Lord and Master. You are the one that is love. You are full of grace and mercy. I praise you, Heavenly Father, because every person that is watching this is not watching it by accident or coincidence, God, but you have orchestrated this moment right now for the hearers and the viewers, Lord God. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Now I pray, Heavenly Father, that your word that is already anointed, Lord God, will just begin to just minister to our hearts and let us have open hearts and open minds as, as we hear what it is that you'd have for us to, to, to hear and, and as we hear what it is that you have to say today, Lord God. And we thank you for all that you're doing. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And even in the midst of what we're going through right now, we can still stand and praise you and thank you and say you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are, as you can tell, in the middle of a Roman series, and actually we're, we're kind of starting to head to the end of this letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church in Rome. And uh, he's, and really, we've kind of uh, looked at this letter and seen that Paul has kind of taken it into three parts. Let me, let me just show you those parts. In chapters one through five, he defined the gospel. It was the gospel defined. And then in chapters six through 11, it was the gospel defended. He's giving defenses for, for some of the arguments that people can oppose to what he just presented. And then now finally, verses 12 all the way through the end, it's going to be the gospel applied. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Phil brought the house down as he kicked off that third segment, which was the first portion of chapter 12. And so today I'm excited as we finish off chapter 12 and see what it is that Paul is talking about. And really, uh, last week, uh, Phil talked about the fact that uh, we are called to be gospel-centered disciples. And then the thought continues in the rest of chapter 12, where Paul is also talking about what it looks like to be gospel-centered community, to be in a gospel-centered community. Now, now, many people believe that God is real, right? There's many people that believe God loves them, and yet those same people are just as selfish and just as messed up and just as anxious as, as everyone else, right? And, and you would think that that belief ought to make a big difference, right? That, that that belief ought to make you more secure or happier or more humble, and, and yet belief 
doesn't do that in many cases. And the reason is, is because belief doesn't automatically turn into a changed thought or feelings or behaviors. But beliefs have to be turned into a changed character through, and really the only way is, is through the gospel applied. In other words, to apply the gospel. In other words, there are certain things that we are invited to participate in as Christians um, that will actually, uh, that will actually transform our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the importance of Christian community is kind of masked in the midst when we read scripture because we are Americans. And so when we read the Bible, we tend to read it with sort of this individual lenses, right? We're an individual, individualistic culture. So we read it through sort of these individual lenses. And even the English language, unless you're from the South, it doesn't have a second person plural pronoun, right? Right? So, so for example, when you read maybe the, the Sermon of the Mount and, and you see where Jesus is, comes and he says, you must do this and you must do this and you must do this. We tend to read that and think, oh, okay, God is telling us, God, God is telling me how I should behave. God is telling me how I should live, right? But, but actually, almost all of the pronouns in the Sermon on the Mount uh, are plural. In other words, what Jesus is really saying is, y'all, Y'all should do this. Y'all should do that. You all should. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be a part of a community that is like this. And sometimes we can miss the whole message from the Sermon on the Mount because we take it and we apply it to just me and not to us. In fact, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're really witnessing a scene that is somewhat familiar, right? It should remind us of what we see with Moses. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the commandments, with the law, and a lot of people think, well, the reason Moses did that or the reason their understanding for the law of God is because that's the way you find out how to be saved, right? They say, well, here's why God gave these laws laws is because this is how you are forgiven. When you obey these laws, you're forgiven. This is how you're saved. This is how you have eternal life and so on. But actually, when you read the book of Exodus, narratively, that's impossible because God does not give them the law, then save them from slavery, but he saves them from slavery. Then he gives them the law. Therefore, the law um, of God is never in either the Old Testament or the New Testament, the way to be forgiven forgiven or the way to be saved. And so if there were, if they were already slave from, saved from slavery, why did he give them the law? Well, what God is saying in the book of Exodus is the same thing that he's saying here in the book of Romans chapter 12. And really it's the same thing he says throughout all of scripture. What he says is this basically is that the reason humanity, the reason why human community has unraveled everywhere, right? The reason individuals are at war with individuals, the reason families are at war with families, the reason nations are at war with nations is when your relationship with me 
unravels and all other relationships unravel. But when your relationship with me is restored, then all other human relationships become restored. And so what Jesus is saying is this, is that I'm creating a community in which we show the world that if you are restored with me, all unraveling relationships are woven back together again in a fabric. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you that when you relate to me. In other words, when you come into this new community that is centered around the gospel. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the importance of this Christian gospel-centered community that Paul is highlighting here. See, uh, and, and th th there's issues within the, this material that we, we would certainly be benefit from by going line by line or even doing multiple teaching series to go through it. But obviously, we don't have the time to do that this morning. So I just kind of want to do maybe a broad sweep. Um, and, and what Paul says here really are three things that are, are characteristics of this new gospel-centered community that Christ is creating. And so here they are. They're the, val the inside values, the outside vigor, and the ultimate source. And so we're going to start with number one, inside values. The inside values. This is crucial really to the whole passage. In fact, it's right here at the very beginning in verse 10 where, where, where uh, Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, brotherly love, at least in, in English, is, very, uh, is a very sort of vague and, and uh, sentimental idea, right? But, but the original Greeks and Romans who saw this brotherly love actually practiced by Christians knew how radical and, watch this, how offensive it was. In fact, there's this guy named Lucian who uh, was a Greek Assyrian writer, and he was watching this thing called Christianity growing, and this is what he said. He said, their founder, who is Jesus, he says, their founder persuades them that they should be like brothers to one another, and therefore, they despise their own privacy and view all their possessions as common property. Wow. He was offended by it. But, but what's interesting is, is Lucian understood that just how radical it was to be called a brother or a sister in this thing called Christianity. And I wonder if you and I do. I wonder if we get it. And so let's just take a look at three things here, uh, specifically on the inside values. What are the inside values of a gospel-centered community? What, what do those look like? And, and I'm go what are those markers? And I'm going to put it negatively. Uh, and, and so we're going to start with the first one, which is this, non-selectivity. Then it'll be non-privacy. And then it'll be non-safety. So first of all, non-selectivity. Verse 10 says brotherly love, that we are to love each other with a brotherly love. Now, these are one of the first uh, few Greek words that practically everybody knows, right? In other words, when it says be devoted to one another in brotherly love, that word there is Philadelphia. And most people are familiar with that word, Philadelphia. They're familiar with the city of brotherly love. They're familiar with that Greek word. Uh, to, and it's very popular. 
But there's another Greek word here that is actually very powerful that many people aren't familiar with, and that's, the, and that's this phrase, which is to be devoted to one another. To be devoted to one another. So there's Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, but then there's Philostorgia. Now, Philostorgia or Storgia uh, is often translated as, as, as sort of this bondness, this type of love that bonds, right? But, but it's actually even more unique than that um, because the reality is, is all other loves require some sort of strength, right? Some sort of merit, either in the lover or the love, either in the one giving the love or in the object of love. But storge is different because it's not discriminating. In other words, uh, you know, friends and lovers, they'll, they'll say something like this. They'll say something like, uh, we were made for each other. But, but storge is a special glory. It's a special love that unites people almost emphatically, even comically, that, that we're never actually made for each other. In other words, uh, storge exists between people who, if they had not found themselves in the same household, they'd have nothing to do with each other. Right? In other words, this kind of love brings people together, brings people together that, that normally wouldn't talk, normally wouldn't hang out, normally wouldn't associate with one another. It causes you to go beyond your own idiosyncrasies, right? You, you begin to care for people who have different personalities than you, uh, different political affiliations than you, different styles and interests than you. You begin to, you begin to care for people with failures and blind spots and even annoying little quirks, right? And it's because you come into this new community. And because of that, it's this kind of love where you stop selecting. It's this non-selecting value. You, you stop auditioning people like we do in every other area of life. We stop that because now what we say is, no, no, we are all adopted into the same body. We're all adopted into the same family. That's non-selectivity. Christian community has to be marked by a lack of, in, uh, of incredible snobbishness towards people of different uh, temperaments and personalities and races and classes and politics. Non-selectivity. But, but it's not just that, that there's another mark to what this gospel-centered community looks like, that this thing called the church, right? And, and the other mark is non-privacy. Non-privacy. Remember what Lucian said, right? Non-privacy. The simple fact of the matter is, if the Christians around you are your brothers and your sisters, right, then who you're dating or how you're spending your money or how you're spending your time, your life, they all matter. It all matters. Check this out. Look what verse 9 says. It says this, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. What, what is that doing in, in sort of this whole list of relationships about community? Here, here's a list about relationships, about community, what relationships should look like, what community looks like, should look like. And then there's this thing, verse nine, that says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Well, what it's doing there is this, is that Christians are supposed to be holding each other accountable for the truth. And if they're not doing that, then they're not loving. 
That's what Paul's saying here. That, that if we're not holding each other accountable, then we're not loving, right? You, you don't love somebody by letting them do something wrong. You, you see, to have brothers and sisters means that they have access to you and, 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 the, uh, and every aspect of your life. And so Lucian was particularly scared and offended about the fact that these people, these brothers and the sisters, they, they would have claims on his possessions. He didn't like that. Look at verse 13. Look what it says. It says, share with God's people who are in need. Now, now by the way, that Greek word there, uh, share, literally means share your possessions. It, 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 it's a way of saying mi casa su casa, right? But, 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 but the Greek there is even stronger than share. It, it means that if you have a brother or a sister that is in need, they have a claim on your money, on your possessions, on your time. Wow. Y'all hear that? That they, they, they have that not only that, but that they are they are thoroughly on your emotions. When I say non-selectivity and non-privacy and non-safety, right in the middle of this, of all this sort of talk about community, we have a, we have these very interesting exhortations. And look what verse eleven says. Verse eleven says, "Do not be lacking in zeal. Be joyful in hope." patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You see that? Now, if those were somewhere else, if this, if this list of don't be lacking in zeal, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, if we saw that list somewhere else, we might think uh, they're talking about, you know, how you should in some sort of general way keep your spiritual, you know, fervor, right? But in the middle of brotherly love, in, in the middle of, uh, of, of this passage about sharing with God's people, what it means is if you take seriously what the Bible says about, about these other people being your brothers and your sisters, that you'll actually find yourself often exhausted. Often exhausted. Especially look at verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep or mourn with those who weep. That, that's actually saying that there has to be an involvement, an emotional identification so deep that what is happening to them actually affects you, right? And notice the order. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice before he says to weep with those who weep. Do you know why? Because rejoicing with those who rejoice is actually a lot harder. It's actually a lot harder. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and so we rejoice with people to, who are rejoicing and we weep or we mourn with people who are weeping because the reality is this. It's difficult, write this down, it's difficult to celebrate with people in their success if you were not with them in their struggles. I'll say it again. It is difficult to celebrate with people in their success if you were not with them in their struggles. And, and so some of you might even say these as examples. They might say, listen, the reason you're not celebrating the fact that I got a raise is because you were not there when I had to choose to either pay the electric bill or the water bill and explain to my kids why we don't have these things. Or, or, or maybe some of you might say, the reason you're not celebrating me being three years sober 
over is because you weren't there for the 40 years of addiction, right? In fact, some of you are going through struggles right now. The, the mental and emotional toll that these current circumstances have brought upon you. For, for others, it's financial difficulties and anxieties. For others, it's physical attacks and you're struggling, right? I, I mean, for some of you, just getting out of bed is a struggle. Being creative and innovative is a struggle. Keeping your faith alive and your spiritual disciplines engaged during this time is a struggle. For, for some of you, you, you have lost family members. You, you have had to figure out how to grieve differently, right? And, and so what Paul says is, listen, weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. But the greater challenge is to rejoice with those who rejoice. It, it's actually very hard to be sincere for someone else. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean, right? Right? Sister Watermelon comes in and, and she's talking about how, guess what? I found a man. I'm getting married. And, and you're over there and you're like, can you believe it? Sister, Wa Sister Watermelon found a man? If she found a man, you know I should be able to find somebody. My goodness, she just going to wear that same hair? I mean, my Lord, is she going to look the same way? What's going to happen? I cannot believe that she found somebody. You know, oh, hi, Sister Watermelon. Oh, I'm so, congratulations on your wedding. I'm so, I'm just so pleased. And yes, yes, I'm just so great. Oh, you're going to have that color for your wedding. Wow, that'll be, you know, unique. Um, yes, well, God bless you. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. You, you know what I mean? We, we, we sort of have this sort of fake way of celebrating with people. It's hard. Don't, don't you see? It's much harder to rejoice with your Christian brothers and sisters who are actually doing better in something than you are. It, it's hard to rejoice and celebrate with your, with your, with your Christian brothers and sisters when you think they're, they're better or they're more advanced or they got something that you should have got or something like that. It, it's harder to celebrate with them, but, but look at the challenge here. We are to rejoice with those who we are rejoicing, and then we are to weep with those who are weeping. And so it's the, it, it is this idea that, that these inside values have the mark of non-selectivity, non-privacy, but there's actually one more, non-safe, non-safe. That's real Love. That's real identification. Weeping with those who weep is relatively easy, but, 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 but what it's saying is it's not emotionally safe to be a brother or a sister. In other words, you cannot be detached. You, you have to be involved. You, you have to care. You, you can never give up on them, right? When they're hurting, you're hurting, when they're brokenhearted, you're brokenhearted. When they're excited, you're excited. There, there, there is a, there is a, there is a, an investment that you are bringing, that you are investing in these brothers and sisters. And, and if you are going to take this thing seriously, this gospel-centered community that God has called you into seriously, then, then, then you have to know that you cannot live detached. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this awesome quote, and it goes like this. It says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure uh, of keeping it intact, then give it to no one. In fact, wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. 
lock it up in a safe, in a casket of selfishness. But in that casket, that safe, dark, and motionless place, it will change. It will not become broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all of the risk of love is hell. Wow. See, to have brothers and sisters means to to be in a place where it's non-safe. In other words, it's to be willing to have your heart broken. To have brothers and sisters, it means to to be non-private. It means they have claims on you. They have access to you. To have brothers and sisters means to be to, to have non-selectivity. You, you stop, you know, uh, auditioning people, and and now what's happened is you're not choosing who your brother and sister is. Anybody that is a Christian, anybody that is, that has been adopted by Christ, anybody who is saved is now your brother and sister. Inside values, inside values. The first half of this text is mainly talking about relationships between Christians on the inside, family relationships. But the last part of the text is mainly talking about how people inside the Christian community relate to people outside of the Christian community. How to relate to persecutors and enemies and wrongdoers. Paul says this, in other words, he says, let's let's not just talk about people who are different from you. He's not just saying that. He's not saying how to treat somebody that's different than you. He's saying, let's talk about your enemies. In other words, it's not just about people who have different beliefs than you or worldviews than you, but let's talk about people who have hurt you who have taken advantage of you, who have disappointed you, who have betrayed you, who who have in some ways wronged you. This new community isn't just about inside values, but watch this, it's also about outside vigor. Number two, outside vigor. See, there's something else here that this text tells us, which really deserves not only one sermon, but actually a whole lot of sermons, right? Uh, A whole set of sermons. And this is crucial to the uniqueness of Christian community, this gospel-centered community. Uh, This is crucial in this relationship, not just brothers and sisters, but to outsiders and to enemies. And here's why it's so important. We live in a very pluralistic society, right? Now, when you look at human history, it didn't used to be that way. It used to be that everybody in a particular society believed one thing. So for instance, you know, everybody in Sweden was a Lutheran, right? Everybody in Italy was a Catholic. Everybody in India was a Hindu. Everybody, you know, over, over here was, was a Buddhist. But, but now you have these things called cities that have started coming up throughout history and they and they got bigger and more of them increased. And so cities became pluralistic. 
And they're still becoming more and more pluralistic. And so now cities have all kinds of communities, right? And so the question is, well, how are we going to get along with each other, right? How how are we going to deal with each other? And and one of the answers that comes up so much, and and it's a naive answer, and it's not a good answer, but, but one of the answers is this, well, get rid of exclusive views. That's how we're going to get along with each other. Get rid of all exclusive views of truth, right? In other words, they say, don't say, you can't say that you have the truth. Don't, don't you dare say that because that leads to, you know, demonizing people who, who don't have the truth, you know? So, so in other words, they say, you know, look at you, inspired church. How dare you say that Jesus is the son of God and the Bible is the only truth and only people who believe in Jesus can, can, can join. That's, that's very exclusive. Well, well, instead, why don't you let everybody in, right? Th- then you'd be inclusive. That, that would be making the world a better place. That's what society says. But there's something very, uh, very uh, naive about that. Uh, for example, when somebody says, um, you know what, let's not draw boundaries anymore. Let, let's not draw any lines. Do, do you know what they just did? They, they just drew a line. Yeah, they just drew a line and they said, over here are the good people who don't draw lines. And then over here are the bad people that do draw lines. So, so even to say, let's not draw a line is drawing a line. You know, some, some people say, listen, fundamentalists, uh, people who believe they have the truth, that they're the ones doing terrorism. Uh, they're the ones who are, go- are going out being violent, Right. But that's not true if your fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, a man who refuses to strike back even when they came after him. If that's the fundamental of your life, if that's the exclusive truth you have uh, to believe in order to become, of the Christ- to become a part of the Christian church, then that should lead you to be more open in your exclusivity. Why? Because your exclusive truth leads you to loving and being kind to people that are on the outside, right? So, so, here, so see, this is what you really want. What you really want um, is not a community that doesn't believe in exclusive truth, um, that doesn't believe in boundaries. What, what you actually want is a community whose belief leads them not to demonize the opposition, but to love and respect the people on the other side. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, somebody says, you know, that, I don't know if that really looks good to me. Are, are you saying that you should just, you know, let people walk all over you? You know, well, what are you supposed to do, right? Do, do you think it's good to just let somebody treat you however way? That, that Are you saying that if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to be a doormat, right? I mean, I mean, doesn't the Bible say turn the other cheek? I don't know how I feel about that. Well, yes, the Bible does say to turn the other cheek. But I think the average person that hears that thinks that what they mean is, hey, you hit this cheek, so I'm going to turn this cheek to you so you can hit this one as well. But actually, that's not what's being said here. You have to remember that in that culture, um, you didn't give somebody a handshake when you greeted them, right? But, but you kissed them. In other words, when you saw somebody coming and you wanted to show them that, hey, we're friends, I want to be friends with you, what did you do? You turned your cheek. 
And so what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying here is this, is bless those who curse you, bless and curse not. That's what he's saying, is when somebody does you wrong, you still want to offer the ability to redeem friendship. Paul says, if you understand the fundamentals of the gospel, you will bless and not curse. You will love and respect and never disdain or demonize the people who don't agree with you, even people who are against you, even your opponents, even your enemies, right? Because look at this, the basic principle of all these exhortations that we're reading are basically summarized in verses 17 and 21. Check it out. Verse 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is saying is to repay evil with evil is to immediately lose the battle to evil. My goodness. In other words, if you hate the person who has wronged you, then that person has won. The, the only way to defeat evil is to forgive and love that person. My goodness, help us, Lord. Because when we identify evil too closely with the evildoer, we believe that we will need to destroy the evildoer in order to destroy the evil. And so when we do that, we kind of unwittingly uh, become a pawn of the very same evil force that is behind the person that did evil to you. Do you see that? Let me break it down a little bit. One of my favorite books, in fact, the whole collection is The Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. I love the Lord of the Rings. And, and, and there is a sort of dynamic reality in that story um, that's, that, that says when any good person who would use the ring of, of evil against um, the evil Lord to destroy him would become evil in the process. See that? So anybody, it doesn't matter. If you're a good person and you're wanting to destroy the evil Lord, and so you're using the ring to do it, you become evil in the process. In other words, what Paul is saying here is victory pursued in the wrong way will actually become defeat. Wow. The only way to, to, to overcome that person that did you wrong, the person that disappointed you, the person that betrayed you, the person that hurts you, is to forgive them, to love them, to show them kindness. See, then in verse 20, it says, by doing so, that we heap burning coals on their head, which is, which is a way of saying, we wake them up to their convictions and repentance may possibly occur. In other words, the person may be led to transformation because of the kindled fire of the gospel-filled life that the community of God is showing. Now, you, now, I just said some things throughout this whole sermon that's like, man, that sounds great, Pastor Roger, <laughs> but if I'm honest, I don't know if I can do all that. 
I don't know if I can love in that way. Love, you know, non-selectively. Love, you know, non-privately. Love non-safely. I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can love in that way. I, I don't know if I can if I can love my enemies. I don't know if I can if I can do these things here that 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 Jesus is asking us to do. I mean, how do I do that? That goes to point three, which is the ultimate source. See, what makes Christian community unique is not just the inside values, but also the outside vigor. And you say, where, do, where can I possibly get the power for that? As I was getting ready for this sermon, what I realized is this, is that if you look back through the Bible, in some ways, the story of the Bible is really a story of failed families. Failed families that, 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 that failed to give us unconditional, intimate, endlessly patient relationships that we really need. Right? See, that's what it means to have family relationships. That's what it means to be in a gospel-centered community is that you're non-selectively, unconditionally, non-privacy, intimately, non-safely, putting up with, with, with different kinds of people, um, never giving up, unconditional, intimate love. And, and we want that. We want that. Yet... What we see is that the relationships we have here, that the families we see throughout human history have failed, have failed. And the Bible gives us example after example. Going all the way back to Genesis, it shows Cain out there killing Abel, right? Ishmael struggling with Isaac, brother and brother. Rachel struggling with Leah, sister and sister. Esau wanting to kill Jacob and he has to run away. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And on and on it goes. I mean, it doesn't stop there, right? When you get into the history of Israel and you get into David, you have David being driven out into the wilderness by his own son. And then, and then you have Amon, David's son, raping Tamar, his sister right? Then you have Abimelech in Judges 9 killing all of his brothers so he can be king. We go all the way down, even in the New Testament, uh, to, to Mary and Martha with Martha rebuking Mary and one of the greatest parables of Jesus Christ, which is the parable of the prodigal son, and it, 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 which is actually about an elder brother who absolutely hates the guts of his younger brother and will not reconcile with him. The Bible talks about it over and over again. This failure of family, this failure of relationship to give you an unconditional, intimate relationship that your hearts are built for. And, and, and it's interesting how we see this time and time again. And then here comes Jesus, and in Mark chapter 3, he, Jesus says something very interesting. He, he, at this point, uh, Jesus' mother and his brothers have turned against him. His family has turned on Jesus. And so he gets up and he says something very interesting, and he says this, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my brother. That person is my sister. That person is my mother. Do, do, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, 
All relationships of this world have unraveled and failed, but I have something that I can give you that is unconditional and intimate that you really need. There's a community that I'm calling you to, to be a part of. And you say, where do I get that ability? I mean, where do I get the ability to, to love my enemies? And you say, Jesus, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can do these things. And Jesus says, you can't, but I can. And I did. Jesus Christ says, I will give you the resource. I will be the resource. I will be the power. So, when, so even when you look at enemies, you look at them as not inferiors. Even when you look at people who did you wrong, who hurt you, right? You can look at those people and you can still wish them well and bless them. You, you can imagine a, a community that is tightly knit through the belief of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, when you find a gospel-centered community like that, when you are part of a church like that, then you have found the kind of community that Jesus Christ died for. That the kind of community that Jesus Christ died to create. And he offers it to us. He says, to the degree we do that, to the degree that, the, that, 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 we, be, that we become a part of this community, that to the degree that, the, that, 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 that we become a part of it, the Spirit creates these things among us. Among us. You see, He's our source because while we were still enemies of Him, He died for us. He loved us, he forgave us, he redeemed us, he called us. And he is the one that we look to, to be the enabler of what a gospel-centered community can look like. And you're invited to that community. You're invited to be a part of the family. For every person that wants to isolate themselves, for every person that, that doesn't want to be, be, be a part of this, for every person that says, no, 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 I can be a Christian and, and I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be involved in church at all. No, no, no. See, what you don't understand is simply this, is that you will never be able to fully grasp who Jesus Christ is without the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for calling us, not just out of something, but into something. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for showing us what this new way of being human is, this new society, that God, you're not calling us into some sort of individual relationship with you but you're calling us into a community, into a family, into a body, God. And Heavenly Father, that you've showed us the values of this family. And you've also showed us, Heavenly Father, what it means and how it means to treat people outside of that family, God. And God, you are the source. You are, you are what enables us. You are what gives us the power, God to be free in that, to know and experience what it is to have love that is unconditional. A love, Lord God, 
that gives access, a love God that doesn't force you to audition and gain approval, a love, Lord God, that doesn't look at class or race or education. It doesn't look at, 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 at any of those things that we tend to categorize people in. But Heavenly Father, you break all those barriers, God. And you call us not just to love each other, but to even love people that hurt us, to even love people that have mistreated us. And God, we're able to do that when we look at the cross, when we see what you've done for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.